computer yesterday when it died. So everyone's talking about their crazy Saturdays. That was mine. <laughs> so thankfully I had, you know, a fairly good idea of what I wanted to say in my head, not just on the paper. So I was able to get that uh, all back. Um, we've been working through the book of First Timothy, a book written by Paul to Timothy and the church at Ephesus as Paul is trying to establish a pattern for the ongoing church. The apostles are getting older, they're dying out, and the church needs to learn to continue on without them. The office of apostle was going away. So uh, specifically, and we're going to talk about today, the church needed to establish new leadership within that. Um, last time we talked specifically about the role of women in the church and uh, their role in the new body of Christ. Um, but based on what we learned last time, women would not be eligible for the position of elder based on um, Paul stating that they aren't allowed to teach or hold authority over men. So um, that would make them ineligible for this particular role. However, um, there are a lot more qualifications for this position than just gender roles. And uh, we'll be uh, reading our passage here and then we'll dive right into that. Uh, um, so here's a trustworthy saying. Oh, sorry, this is uh, 1 Timothy 3, verse 1 through 7. Here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now an overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall into the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So let's pray and we'll go through this. Lord, we... Thank you so much for your word and giving it to us that you've given us structure to go by and uh, a plan for your ongoing church and pray that you'll open our hearts and our minds and uh, guide my words this morning as I preach through your letter here in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the beginning of this passage might sound a little familiar. Here is a trustworthy saying. This is the same phrase Paul used uh, Back in chapter one, when he said that uh, it was a trustworthy saying and uh, worthy of um, remembrance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the worst. So this is a phrase that Paul wants repeated in the church, um, if it wasn't being repeated already, that whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. So. He wanted men to pursue this position. He wanted to men to conform themselves to uh, the standards that are set here below, um, not resent them, not uh, put it off. But uh, <clears throat> it was something that uh, they should aspire to voluntarily. They didn't want forced elders either. So um, 
the position itself being of great honor. And uh, before we jump into the qualifications themselves, um, we'll talk a little bit more about the office itself. Um, just uh, as a starting point, the term elders and overseers are used interchangeably by Paul throughout his letters. So when he says elder and overseer, he's talking about the same person. They are not separate offices. Um, first thing to uh, understand about the role of elder is that is it is the highest ongoing office within the church that is specifically designated by scripture. And uh, one of only two offices talked about, the other being deacon, and uh, we'll talk more about that next time. Um, but uh, the apostles, which was the only higher office, was not to be continued. So the elders would be still subject to their teaching through the word of God. But beyond that, the, uh, there were no other offices established in the scripture itself. So the offices of pastors, priests, popes, bishops all came out of tradition, not scripture itself. Secondly, the eldership is to be a plurality, or there's to be a group of elders, not just one. There's nowhere in scripture where it indicates that there was only one elder in charge of an entire church. And uh, was going through a uh, book by Alexander Strzok while I was going through this, and this is a point he really wanted to emphasize because uh, we kind of take it for granted when you've been in a church like this or uh, specifically this church that, you know, you have that plurality of elders because in a lot of churches there is either a one-man ministry or one man at least in charge of everything. So um, even in those churches, the elders form more of a board of directors to the CEO who makes most of the decisions, which uh, we don't find that anywhere in Scripture. Once again, that... Uh, would be something pulled out of tradition. So, um, but uh, the plurality makes sense because the elders uh, can build on each other's gifts, hold each other accountable, um, learn from one another. And uh, as Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. So the eldership, uh, the plurality can be used to build each other up and uh, get them to grow together. <clears throat> Uh, the next thing to know about the eldership is it is a local eldership. Um, Paul at no point intended to bring in outside people to take on any of these roles or for outside authority to direct these roles. Um, in Acts 14, 23, Paul and Barnabas are appointing elders in each of the churches uh, with prayer and fasting committed to the Lord. And uh, later on, Titus, which is happening at roughly the same time as 1 Timothy, um, Titus is establishing churches elsewhere. Um, he tells Titus that the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what is left unfinished and appoint elders in each town as I directed you. So combining that with the uh, eldest being the elders being the highest level of authority in the ongoing church, each local eldership was in charge of that church. There wasn't the eldership of the Ephesians was not in charge of the eldership at Crete. Each um, eldership within the church was accountable to God in their congregation, um, not some council or a pope or any other organization outside of the church of God. <clears throat> Finally, just a note on the uh, authority itself of the elders. Uh, what kind of authority is it as 
Um, I mentioned before, it's not as a board of directors to keep the one guy who really has the power in check, or, you know, might have some administrative roles or, although elders certainly do have the administrative roles as well. Um, but uh, it also wasn't a position of absolute authority where the elders could become dictators and rule every aspect of your life. Um, but First uh, Peter 5, 1 through 4 uh, really defines well the position of the elder. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also shares in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording over it over those who are, who are entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So the role of elder is to be pastoral, one of servant leadership and living by example. Um, it is also a position of stewardship, knowing that they will hold account to the chief shepherd when he returns. So, we can see from that, uh, you know, some of the reasons that Paul is calling the eldership a noble task. But, uh, however, desiring the task is noble, but it doesn't necessarily mean the one desiring can make the cut. The guidelines Paul presents are pretty strict. And as uh, we go through the uh, list here in 1 Timothy, I'm just going to read the same, a similar passage from Titus one, six through nine. So he's giving the same rules to Titus, who is also establishing these churches. An elder must be blameless, faithful to one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest game, Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, and is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message, added as it has been taught, so that he may encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So, we can start taking a look at our list here. Our first qualification is that an overseer must be above reproach. Um, some translations say blameless. Um, Titus actually says blameless twice, so this was clearly a priority. Um, at uh, first glance, this may seem to disqualify everybody because uh, nobody is truly fully blameless, uh, which makes would make this sermon a whole lot shorter. But uh, what uh, he's specifically referring to here when he says blameless and above reproach is this is kind of a, you know, gatekeeper question to the eldership. It's like, do we know this person has any current habitual sin in their lives? You know, if uh, someone said, okay, well, maybe we'll make Chris an elder and someone stood up and said, well, he lies all the time. Well, that'd be the end of that because you know, obviously there's some obvious sins in my life that I need to deal with. 
So this is dealing with kind of the surface level obvious things, you know, if someone in the congregation knows of a problem with them that they're dealing with sin, then, uh, then we would uh, stop the process right here and uh, not move on to the more specific aspects of it. Um, this next one here um, is often translated either faithful to his wife or husband of one wife. Um, the Greek word here is only used in this particular verse and the one in Titus. Um, it literally translates as he is a one woman man, which uh, definitely includes be only having one wife and it definitely includes being faithful to that one wife. But it even goes even deeper, you know, is he flirting with other people? Is he spending a lot of time with other people? It also reaches across the aisle to the single folks. Um, basically, all the commentators agreed that, uh, you know, you don't have to necessarily be married to be an elder, but you're still under the qualifications of this verse, you know, are they uh, pursuing a lot of women? Are they dating multiple women? I mean, it just has the highest standard set here for uh, the relationship of the elder. So yes, it's, it requires them to be faithful to their wife and uh, only have one wife, but it definitely takes that a step further and uh, make sure that there's no, even a hint of immorality. Uh, the next two, self-control and sober-mindedness or temperance, kind of go hand in hand. Self-control um, being the last listed among the fruits of the spirit um, includes a lot of things. It seems like an obvious choice. If I can't control my own body, do I really think I can control the church? Um, so, I mean, kind of going along with that, uh, Johnny mentioned patience this morning. Self-control involves patience because you can't act on impulse you can't jump on things as they happen you have to think about them you have to evaluate them and then a lot of times you have to take not your knee-jerk reaction to it so um, once again going along with that sober-mindedness is about having a clear head um, free from outside influences so um as Paul puts it in uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So being able to control your body, being able to get a grip on your mind to get rid of those problem thoughts, you know, before they become the issue um, are important qualities in an elder. An elder will need to make, be in situations where he needs to make clear decisions and, uh, where his knee-jerk reaction might not be the most appropriate to the situation. So kind of going along with that, um, the uh, next word is respectable. Um, this is, uh, this uh, word was actually used in the last chapter when it talked about uh, the way women dress, um, basically meaning orderly and appropriate to the situation, which in this case would be as an elder of a church. The word elder itself um, generally in this culture would have commanded a level of respect. Um, there would be an air of wisdom and uh, maturity gained through experience. And uh, the idea was that uh, the elder needed to exercise that. They weren't 
uh, someone who was going to act childish in a wrong situation or um, say something silly when they should have been saying something wise. This is someone who kind of has it, who's more mature and has it a little more together. This specific verse is not necessarily talking about spiritual maturity. We'll talk about spiritual maturity in a few minutes. That's another qualification, but uh, just like general maturity and um, wisdom in life. Sorry, throat's a little dry. Hospitality uh, took me a little longer to find uh, a good definition on because in our culture, hospitality has a completely different meaning. It generally means exchanging money for, uh, you know, service or kindness towards you. There's, uh, when we talk about hospitality, they talk about the hospitality industry. So there are people definitely out there wanting to have people be kind to them, wanting them to reach out to them and serve them. But uh, in our culture, there's a price tag attached to that. But uh, the, uh, I appreciated a definition I had to specifically search for biblical hospitality. But uh, faithword.org faith gave me this definition. Biblical hospitality is a sacred duty to treat strangers and friends alike welcoming one another into our homes, communal spaces, and lives. So I appreciated that definition. Um, it involves taking the initiative to build those close relationships with the people in the body of Christ and uh, grow closer to them, usually at the expense of the time or resources of the one initiating it instead of the one wanting it. So. Um, as elders being examples to the rest of the body are called to do this as well. Being able to teach um, is a very important job for the elders. This does not necessarily mean um, having the gift of teaching, um, although one would hope some of the, at least some of the elders have that as well. But uh, it also doesn't necessarily mean being up here in front of everybody teaching. It could be one-on-one -on -one teaching, teaching in a youth group, teaching um, in a Bible study, um, lots of different contexts. But uh, in terms of the teaching itself, um, I, uh, a definition, a good uh, one to go with was actually... Uh, the last verse in Titus in the section we read that uh, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he may encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So he's got to know the word of God. Um, he's got to be able to relate the doctrines of the word of God to other people. And he has to be able to rebuke those who are opposing the doctrine as presented in the word of God. So um, pretty uh, straightforward, but uh, very important to do in the, within the church. <clears throat> so, well, verse two kind of gave us our list of uh, good qualities in elder. Uh, verse three kind of moves into the people we don't want in the position of eldership. Um, the first quality that it mentions is drunkenness. Um, 
this would seem like an immediate disqualifier and why would you want someone who was drunk doing any of this but uh chances are they're not probably showing up at church drunk or at even necessarily church functions so it might be more on their own time so we might be you know more tempted to let that go but uh Drunkenness shows a lack of the self-control and sober-mindedness that were required of elders. Uh, they, you know, can't control their alcohol intake, and as a result, the uh, alcohol's effect on their mind pretty much eliminates the sober-mindedness. Um, elders can be um, <clears throat> entrusted with a lot of sensitive information and uh, whatnot with regarding the people they serve which might be at risk for talking about or gossiping when they're drunk um drunkenness is a gateway to all sorts of other sin because your judgment is impaired but uh ultimately uh the elders best to uh, follow the uh advice of ephesians five eighteen and do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery instead be filled with the spirit uh, the word translated violent here literally means someone who hits or a hitter. So this is uh, specifically referring to a physically violent elder in your midst. Um, he uh, solves his problems with fist. He doesn't uh, necessarily uh, rely on the authority of the word, but uh, he, uh, instead of ruling through respect, he rules through fear. He you know, if you question him, he pops you in the nose. That's uh, obviously a little self-control. He acts on instinct. If he's upset, you know it, and you better watch out. So um, a quarreler is similar, only instead of beating you down with their fists, they're beating you down with their words. Um, this isn't to be confused with someone who's just debating or discussing something. Uh, this person wants to get into debates, wants to fight. It doesn't matter if it's doctrine or the drapes. He's there to, you know, tell you his opinion, and uh, he's always right, so you better listen up. You know, you confront him, he's saying, just says he's playing devil's advocate, and no doubt Satan appreciates that, but, uh, you know, quarreling is not something that uh, belongs amongst God's people, let alone the leadership. Uh, Instead, the elder is encouraged to be gentle, modeling himself after Christ, who told us to turn the other cheek, pray for those who persecute us, and pick up our cross daily and follow him. And uh, also remember that he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before, her she before its shears is silent, so he does not open his mouth. So. Jesus exercised self-control and uh, sober-mindedness with his problems and didn't respond with violent fists or violent words. So we're to um, seek that model in our elders. Um, for uh, lovers of money, and some versions also include covetousness, we, uh, need not, we don't really need to look further than the prosperity gospel to see where that's gone wrong in terms of leaders who have a desperate love of money. They will exploit their flocks. They will pursue the things of the world. They will hoard up their money and uh, spend it on jets, on cars, on expensive looking clothing. 
they will prioritize their wealth over the good of their congregation, uh, caring not about what the good shepherd who's going to be coming back to evaluate them thinks. Their, their mind is on the here and now. They're seeking the good things of the world. So you don't want uh, any of those running uh, the household of God. And kind of going back to our uh, uh, earlier section when we started, uh, this is a lot easier to deal with when you have a plurality of elders, when you have more than one man in charge, because then that one man is really hard to remove. But uh, if you have problems within these, the eldership itself can sometimes take care of the problem and deal with it before it's a big issue. All right. Our next one is kind of self-explanatory. He explains it himself that the... Uh, he must manage his own household well with dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will we, he care for God's church? So this is about how a man runs his family. Are his children wild and disobedient? Um, the Titus section says that uh, they need to be believers. I um, looked into that a little more. A lot of people think that's a mistranslation. The word there is... Uh, that the children are faithful, but the object of the faith could be the father's teaching. So um, the children themselves don't necessarily need to believe be believers because that could lead to a lot of false conversions and um, potential, you know, fake relationships with Christ. But uh, either way, you're, the children of the elder need to be obedient. They can't be um, accused of being wild and unruly. There needs to be discipline there. Um, and actually, to some degree, um, if the elder is not living up to this particular command, it's a good thing to have him uh, put the uh, position on at least hold for a while because um, a man's first and foremost priority is his family, according to scripture, he needs, he's in charge of his kids and his wife before he um, is in charge of the church. So sending him back to deal with this problem and maybe he'll come back to be an elder later, but uh, best not to rush it. All right. <clears throat> Whoop. This table does not like me. All right. Second to last one here, um, must not be a recent convert. I said we'd come back to the spiritual maturity element here. Um, even if someone appears to be very mature or very successful, very charismatic, and uh, they convert to Christianity, they still shouldn't be immediately placed in a position of leadership. Uh, that uh, maturity in one sense could actually lead to problems because he thinks he's more mature and thinks he knows more than he actually does. This is actually probably some of the folks uh, Paul is talking about back in chapter one of First Timothy when he says um, they want to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. So they're confirming it, and it says here that they fall under the same judgment of the devil. Well, the judgment of the devil was pride. So 
they get puffed up with pride. They don't want to admit they don't know as much as they do. And, you know, sometimes they might give the wrong information or make something up on the spot to uh, try to, you know, save image. But, uh, you know, once again, this is another one of those don't rush. You know, they may make a great elder someday, but uh, they need that time to grow in Christ before being put in a position like that. Um, finally, uh, we uh, started with our original gateway where uh, we uh, kind of had uh, an evaluation of the elders, see if there was any, uh, you know, obvious sins and stuff. Uh, on the tail end of this, Paul wants uh, them to take this out into the community, a good reputation with outsiders, it says. So, um, even Paul knows here that you have to take that with some grain of salt because the world is, of course, the world. And it's not going to necessarily like your elders. It's not going to necessarily like Christ. So you have to take that uh, into account when uh, asking the greater community. But at the same time, sometimes we within the church can look at the world with rose-colored glasses and, you know, we see the best of people on Sunday and... Uh, the worst comes out at work or the worst comes out at the grocery store or at home or whatever. So uh, going out into the community and seeing how they relate to that is helpful. The other thing is the one thing about non-believers is they always are really great at po pointing out Christian hypocrisy. They, they'll find what's wrong with you and <laughs> throw it out in your face the first chance they get. So. Sometimes information that comes out through that can be helpful to stop the appointment of a bad elder. Um, it's also important to remember that, uh, you know, this is our witnessing field, the people we're going out, the people we're sharing the gospel with, our evangelical field. If, uh, you know, the person who is going to be an elder has somehow uh, done harm to that community that will burn a bridge that uh, may not be able to be repaired and uh, you can't get across with the gospel when that's our, that bridge is already burned so um, <clears throat> it makes your witness a whole lot less effective but uh, yeah so those are the uh, qualifications uh, Paul lays out for elders obviously it's really hard to become an elder, and I'm sure it's very hard to be an elder. <laughs> but uh, just some advice for the congregation when dealing with those elders who are working very hard uh, um, to shepherd the flock. Uh, Hebrews 13, 17, and I'm going to close with that. Uh, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden for those would be of no benefit to you. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much again for your word. We thank you for our elders that uh, do a very good job of upholding uh, the church. And uh, even though you've uh, set some pretty high standards, Lord, that uh, we can uh, still still try to conform ourselves to those standards and uh, that uh, you have blessed us with your word. You've blessed us with church structure. Um, you've given us everything we need to um, follow you. And we thank you so much for your, for everything you've done for us in your name. We pray. Amen. <clears throat>